We are blessed. We have Ken and Eve Spicer in the house. Hallelujah. Now, they haven't been with us for, what, about 10 years. So it's, it's been a little bit. They were in California. Now they've since moved over to the glory land over here, uh, close to the glory land, uh, Arkansas. But uh, they had to get their passports, and they came over here today. And so we're grateful that they're here. But uh, I tell you what, the goodness of God, the goodness of God, the goodness of God is here this morning. Amen. And uh, I want to give this gentleman all the time that he needs to be able to uh, bring forth what the Lord has given him. So let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Ken Spicer. I typically use a handheld, but I enjoy using my hands, so this is going to be fun. Notice I don't get the Batman mug. <laughs> I was wondering. I don't blame him. I wouldn't let me use that either. Um, probably going to have to bring me down a little bit because it will get lively. Uh, you know, I when I first came here to Lake Church. We were in the little building in the back, and Pastor Greg wore his pants like Trevor. <laughs> so that's how, that tells you how long it's been, you know. He's <laughs> I'm not sure they were exactly like that, but he could have pulled it off. It's good to see everybody. What a, what a wonderful work you all are building here, and, and it's an honor to be here. Uh, my wife is with me, the lovely Eve Spicer. She's, uh, she's an amazing woman of God, and I'm just so impressed by her because I didn't always look like this, you know, and she still loves me unconditionally, so that's important to me. That means a lot to me, and when we start realizing that God loves us unconditionally, it'll mean a lot in that regard as well. You know, people tell me all the time that, that I give people a license to sin, but what I found out when we lived in California and then actually in Arkansas too, people are sinning all over without a license. And it ain't my fault. But the idea is, is when we understand the unconditional nature of God's heart towards us, it doesn't make you want to go live like hell. It makes you want to walk very close to that, you know. And uh, so anyway, we transitioned uh, after almost 18 years, well, 24 years actually of pastoring in California, just transitioned recently uh, to Arkansas. We planted a church there last year, and um, you know, we're, our sons are essentially pastoring the church. We started an online platform called Revere Network, um, and so we're doing that, and we're helping them, and, and you know, doing some of this as well. And, um, so we're excited to be a little closer to, to this family. You know, we always felt very kindred here, and, uh, and we're excited to, to certainly be back. Well, um, 
you know, there's a lot of talk these days in the body of Christ about, you know, things like living your best life. And, and I think that's great. Uh, I feel like I'm living my best life. I told my wife on the way over here, I love my life. Um, you know, I've got seven grandchildren, two, two more on the way, all boys but one girl. And she lives about four miles from me, so sometimes I just get in my truck and say, you know, I'm going to see Holly, and I'll just go hang out with her anytime, day or night. And so she knows she's very special. And, you know, most, like most little kids, but especially my grandsons, they're mostly too busy, really, to pay much attention to me, except the oldest one who still lives in California, he's eight, and her. And she really, really loves her papa, so... I really, really love that. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm living my best life, but, but I think even beyond that, I don't think God minds you thinking like that, but I think even beyond that, what he would rather us do is live his best life. How about that? In John 14, 12, I was sitting in a, in a, you know, a pile of sand in Somalia in the early 90s, and I read for the first time, because I was a good, good Baptist, I believed the Word of God, the Bible was the Word of God, I'd fight you over it, but I didn't know what it said. And so, you know, I dug out a little Gideon Bible, I still have it, my grandfather gave me when I joined the Marines, and I, I started in Matthew. And I don't know if I could read that Bible today, because the, the font is like .5, you know, <laughs> but I could read it then. And I begin to read, and so I got myself all the way over to John 14, verse 12, where Jesus said, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. So now I realize what he was saying. I didn't then, but I realized he was talking about the, the, the coming of the empowering Holy Spirit, who I met about a month later in Somalia. <laughs> and, you know, we, were, we had been married about a month, and so I started writing my wife letters. And all, I, all we had over there for teaching was one of my young Marines had a, uh, had a cassette player and had some audio cassettes of Andrew Womack teaching Authority of the Believer. I'd never heard any such thing ever. I, I was under the impression that when you get saved, you just hide and hope the Antichrist don't get you and, and pray for the rapture, you know? And that teaching was wrecking me. But now I'm going to talk, I'll reveal my age a little bit here. Some of you won't even know who this is, but I'd never seen Andrew Womack before. And his voice on the tape the only picture I could get in my head was of Ross Perot. <laughs> yeah. And I had, to, I, I had to get over that, of course. Yeah. I had to work through that. And then when I, when I met him, I actually met him at Bob Yandian's church when we were at Ramah. And um, I was like, man, you don't look anything like what I thought you would look like. But, but, I mean, God just started catching me up. And I started writing letters to my wife, and she'd go to her mom and Again, we've been married about a month then, and she's like, what is, who am I married to? <laughs> this guy is some kind of a fanatic. And, you know, well, you know, he's in a, he's in a tough situation. It'll probably pass. And, 
And so here we are 30 years later, and I'm happy to say it never did. And uh, one of my buddies asked me, he said, uh, now what do you think your wife's going to say when you start talking to her about, you know, the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues and things like that? And I said, well, she believes the Bible just like me. (laughs) So as soon as I show it to her in the Bible, she'll believe it. And she, you know, of course, I was going to wait a while. And I got home, I remember, and she was driving us back to our, our house and and I waited for about two minutes, and I started telling her all about it. <laughs> so she's driving and crying and freaked out, you know. And a couple of months later, though, she goes, I'm, I'm ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And then all of our kids were baptized in the Spirit by the time they were six or seven. And I always tell people, when, that, when you have that experience, write down the date. I don't remember when I got saved. I mean... I was a Baptist. I got saved a thousand times before I was eight years old. I didn't want to go to hell. (laughs) Uh, I got baptized at Mount Olive Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi sometime in the early 70s. I don't remember necessarily exactly, but I know the moment I met the Holy Spirit. And of course, you know, you got to be saved, of course, and I'm not diminishing that, but but that was a big deal. So when my youngest son, who's now pastoring a church, the church in Arkansas, the night he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I just said, now remember this date, Samuel. And I don't know, he was like four or five. And I looked at my watch, and it was 10 years to the day that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Same day. And I thought, man, God is so faithful, so faithful. So, so Jesus is inviting us in to do the things he did. You know, and, and in John 16, 24, it says, you know, ask anything in my name. It'll be done for you so that your joy may be full. And do you know the reason I think that a lot of Christians aren't full of joy is because they're asking for things that he already answered. So they don't have the benefit and the, the blessing of seeing those things or recognizing them as answered, and so constantly thinking that they're trying to climb up to this place where really the way I see our position in Christ is we're at the top. The enemy is trying to convince us that we need to come down, that we're not where we are, and so a lot of people feel like we're climbing to get someplace, but friend, we're not standing for victory, we're standing in victory. We're not, we're not moving toward victory we're, we're standing in a place of victory already just because of what Jesus has done. And I think that if, if we just begin to embrace those things and, and really believe it, I mean, look at, look at Peter. I mean, he was, he was on his way to the coffee shop here one day, and his shadow was healing people. And this is what I love about it. He didn't even explain it. He didn't even comment on it. Had that happened today, I mean, if that happened to me when I walked up to the building today, I'd probably want to try to get on with Oprah and write a book about how you heal people with your shadow, and this is my anointing now, and, you know, if you do this and that and put your right foot in and your right foot out and hold your mouth just right, you too can heal people with your shadow for $39.99. This anointing can be yours. But you know why I think he didn't comment? Because he expected things to happen when he got up in the morning. I'm telling you, 
anything might happen when you, when you wake up in the morning. And I just think that if we condition ourselves to expect, to have hope, literally, that God's going to show up, I think the things that we will be able to share, it's not really that odd if you think about it. I mean, 2 Corinthians 2.14 says that, that he always leads us in triumph in Christ. And he also diffuses through us the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Now, my, you know, I don't know if you guys are into essential oils or not, but we did live in California for a minute. We have a diffuser in every room, you know, and now that our kids are grown, we have a couple of guest rooms, and they have their own diffusers. And a little collection of whatever might make you feel better. But, you know, you are the diffuser of heaven. When you walk in a room, things change. You say, well, I don't, I don't sense that. Well, we'll start expecting it to happen and start paying attention. I remember when we were in Ramah here, I had to go, you know, all the way across town to get my Oklahoma driver's license. And, and, you know, I had a wife and two kids, and I had a job that I couldn't afford to lose, and I was in a hurry, you know. I needed to get back to work. And so I get there, and the lady's like, oh, my goodness, the computer's down. And I, she goes, well, sometimes it's all day. And I go, okay, well, what do I do? She goes, well, just wait. I said, okay. So I'm standing at this counter. So she walked to the back room. She said, excuse me. And she walked to the back room. When she walked out of the room, I just leaned over and touched the back. You know, in those days, the computer, the back of the computer was that deep, you know. So it was essentially out closer to me. So I just touched the thing. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I will get that driver's license today. And it seems weird, but it's just awesome when you just expect things to happen. She walked back in. She goes, oh, my goodness. Imagine that. Imagine that. Let's go. Let's get, let's get this thing going here. You know, I want to read a couple of excerpts from a book I'm reading, just some kind of a no-name author. Uh, I'd loan you my copy, but I bought it on Amazon. So you can get yours tomorrow if you order today. And I got all my markings in here, so I, I'm not ready to give this up. But, it, but this is one of the, the quotes that I highlighted, or it's a, it's a verse that's in the book here, 1 John 4, 4 17. Notice, and, and then his commentary, it says, Notice that we are now the sons of God, not in the sweet by and by, but now. By virtue of the new birth, we are active citizens of the kingdom of God with the ability to operate in our full citizenship right here and now. Our birth into the kingdom unites us as one with Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. That's revelation. That, that'll, that'll, that'll allow you to stand against anything. Because, again, you're not trying to achieve victory. The devil's trying to lie to us and convince us that we don't already have it. And it feels sometimes like we don't. Now, I know you don't have this problem here in Oklahoma, but in California, people like their feelings. All you got to do is go on Facebook, and you can see. 
And uh, <laughs> it's not always good, is it? Here's another, here's another point. In order to take on your true identity, you have to disregard the old one. This is the part that proves to be troublesome in our quest for true identity. Do you know that there's not one verse in the New Testament that talks about your flesh being resurrected? The next, the next quote supports that. We have so many self-identifiers that from our time on the earth that to discard them seems sacrilegious. There's a lot of books written out there about the flesh and the old man and struggle. You know, that struggle is right here. Right here. Because that old man, you ain't fighting him. He's dead. He's dead. You're, you're, you're shadow boxing a figment of your imagination, of the devil's imagination. It says, but we are to regard no one, even ourselves, after the flesh when we put on Christ as our identity. I don't know if you get invited around much, but I've been uninvited from a lot of places for stuff like that. You better watch it, buddy. <laughs> I always figured, well, they can't kick me out of my own church, so <laughs> I'll just rear back and preach it at home. But, but those are very, very simple but very important revelations because that's, that's where a lot of us, you know, from time to time, we're caught up in that. And then we'll hear something on Christian radio, which I don't listen to a lot anymore. Because what I would do is I would hear something, you know, being counter to what I just read to you. And I would find myself nodding in agreement because it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, no. That's not, it feels like that, but that's not what it is. See, our spirit should inform our feelings, not vice versa. Our spirit is, is the leader here. And emotions are good, and, and I love the ladies in my life, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big crybaby myself. Emotions aren't bad as long as they're informed by the spirit. You know, and there's, I don't know if you guys are much into the Enneagram, and I know everybody's kind of got a, a, a take on that, and I certainly don't live my life by those. The Enneagram or, the, or any of those strength finder things, I think that they're interesting, usually because it, how, how it defines us to ourselves maybe or whatever, and, you know, Americans are kind of obsessed with themselves. But there are some of those Enneagram numbers that are highly emotional. And the problem I have with those kinds of things is people say, oh, well, that's just how I am. That's how you were. And not that we're all the same and that we're all robots. Everybody's got a nice, unique mix of gifts and things. But the Spirit of God in you and your born-again new creation is the one leading and calling the shots. Um, so... This quote is, is attributed to Henry David Thoreau. There's people that say he didn't actually say it, but, but it goes like this, and you probably heard it. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and die with the song still in them. And I think that we can just 
get caught up in looking around us a lot and comparing ourselves because that's, that's kind of the nature of our culture these days is to compare with everybody and think that somehow you're deficient or you're not where you should be or any of that stuff. And um, there's no need for that if you know Jesus. I mean, there's no need to ever let yourself get into that situation because it's just a lie of the enemy. You are fully equipped right now to, 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 to do anything God puts in your heart. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too whatever, you know, whatever. You're not, you're not too masculine. I've been told that recently, not to be so. so I remember I was at, when I was at Rama, one of the, the professors, Dave Beebe, he told a story because when he was coming up as a young associate, it was in the, in, the, in the height of the deliverance movement, beginning of it. And the book, you know, the best-selling book, Pigs in the Parlor, were out, you know. And so his pastor sent him to this little gathering to kind of see what's going on with all this stuff. And he said that he, they go in this little classroom, and there's a circle of chairs, and he sits down, and then this couple sits across from him, and the lady just starts really like, evaluating him and she whispered something to her husband and she's looking at him and she said you have the spirit of macho (laughs) he said he looked at her and said don't cast that one out The pastor, philosopher, author Oz Guinness in his book, Long Journey Home, writes this. It's often said that there are three requirements for a fulfilling life. The first two, a clear sense of personal identity and a strong sense of personal mission, are rooted in the third, which is a deep sense of life's meaning. In our time especially, many people are spurred to search for that meaning because they're haunted by having too much to live with and too little to live for. I think this is a conundrum that we see in our culture because it's, it's all about excess in some ways. And people get to this place where they think they should be fulfilled and realize that things just will never fulfill you. Amen. But Jesus, we know, is the fulfillment of those things. Amen? So today I want to talk to you about something that I call the life I now live. The life I now live. And I'll go ahead and, and give you a prophetic word this morning. I will finish on time. No pressure for Pastor Greg next week, but I'm going to finish on time. And I know that because I have plenty of time. Uh, You know, in our church, we had, you know, a much smaller parking lot, a smaller building. We had to do, you know, three and four services most of those years. And, uh, you know, you got to clear the parking lot. So it's like 35 minutes, you know, an hour and 10 total. You, you got to go. So breathe deeply. Take copious notes. Enjoy yourself. You're going to get to the chicken house before they run out of chicken today. So let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2 and verse 20, it says this. And let's just pray here real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we're so grateful to be in your presence today, where two or three are gathered in your name, we know you are there in the midst. So we know that you are here in the midst of us today. So whatever our needs are, Lord, 
If there's healing that needs to be received in this room today, then, Lord, we thank you for just being the healer. We thank you that, that healing is a completed work in our redemption. And so all we have to do is just receive. And I thank you for that. I thank you for uh, hope. And I thank you for pouring out the balm of Gilead on those that are hurting today. And we just thank you for encouraging our hearts in the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. How about this? Jesus died for me. Great. Jesus died for my sins. Awesome. Jesus died for the world, John 3.16. Okay. Jesus died as me. Whoa. I died with Jesus. It sounds different to our ears, but we just read it. See, sometimes we read a verse and we think, Deuteronomy 28. The first 14 verses in that chapter are just amazing. It goes downhill a little bit after that. But, but the very first verse of that chapter said, these promises are to the person that keeps all the commandments. Well, you could disqualify yourself pretty quick. It's like, okay, well, I could go get a cup of coffee now because I, I don't need to read this. Or you could say, wait a minute. I didn't fulfill all the commandments, but Jesus did. And I now have my identity in him. And so now I'm qualified. I like to say it this way. You've been set free from all the curses of the Old Testament. And you've been given all the blessing. If you're reading it, putting Jesus in the center and not yourself. You understand that your Christian life isn't about your behavior. It's about your identity. You say, but what if you're a jerk and you do a lot of bad stuff? If you know who you are, you'll eventually stop doing the jerkish stuff. See, we focused on the, 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 the fruit and we forgot about the root. If we would focus on the root... The fruit is going to straighten out. You know, we just, you were three, not even three months into this new year, and I know not this church, but down the road, they made some New Year's resolutions. And some people were like, well, I, you know, I'm going to quit cussing and drinking and smoking this year. But because every day all they were thinking about is drinking, cussing, and smoking. They're not even out the door on January the 3rd, and they've already drank, cussed, and smoked. You see, what you think about all day long will affect how you live. If we would get our mind on our identity in Christ, that's why Paul said it's so important to renew our mind and be transformed. You're a transformer. And not be conformed to this low way of existence that the world wants to put us in and the devil of course wants us there so okay 
Try not to interrupt again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. This kind of verse right here really does give a new thought or a new approach to the verse that talks about taking up your cross and following Jesus. Because you know how we think of that, right? Well, this is just my cross to bear. It's just going just, just to be bad. But hey, I'm a soldier. I can soldier up. Yeah, this is just, you know, like Quasimodo through life. We're just, we're just going along to get along because, you know, this is my cross to bear. What if your cross is his cross? And what if the way you bear that cross is to remember that his death was your death and his life is your life? And then you say, wait a minute. I'm alive in Christ. I'm not saying things aren't going to get hard. But I'm, I'm saying to think that God just wants you to feel like you've just got this little bitty you know, drudgery of a life, and that's, you just need to buck up, kiddo, and get through it. This is your lot. That's, that's not what it is. Don't get mad at me now. I read somewhere where sometimes this could be hard. Verse 20 now of Colossians 2. Go, go there with me. Colossians 2. It's nice to hear some pages turn in church, I will say that. I like, I like the feel of pages. and The younger generation, man, I mean, and it's not against them. It's, it's not their fault. But our church in California, and they weren't all younger, you just didn't hear that much, you know. So I like that. I appreciate you bringing your Bible today. Colossians 2, 20 and 21. Therefore, if you died... With Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, and do not handle? He goes on to say, which concern the things which perish, perish with the using. Uh, the point I want to make here is that we're obsessed in our culture with doing away with everything that's harmful. And I get it, and that's, it's good to do. But I want you to understand that you're never going to be able to sanitize your life enough for your physical well-being to be safeguarded. I mean, think of Numbers 21 when there was some grumbling in the congregation and God releases, you know, snakes. Aren't you glad you're in the new covenant? That's all I can say. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of snakes, and I'm telling you, that would have... Th just think about that for a moment. I mean... These snakes are crawling around biting people. People are dying, so they're obviously dangerous. And then he's saying the only way to survive that is to not look down but to look up. Of course you'd want to look down. That'd be hard. But I guess my point I'm trying to make for this morning is God didn't make new snakes. And they had been in that desert a long time. Those snakes had been there the whole time. Their protection just left them. 
Because in the old covenant, their protection was based on their attitude. Again, it's nice to be in the new covenant because a lot of us would be dead if, if we were under that stuff. <laughs> uh, I, me included. I wouldn't want to have to deal with that. But I guess what I'm saying is that what, what the Lord's pointing out here is that he is our safety. When, when our life is in him and, and those things and we're trusting that, then he's, he's watching out for us, okay? So now let's go to Romans chapter 6. Now, here we go. Romans 6 in verse number 10. Y'all doing all right so far? So Romans 6 and 10 And it's, again, talking about this, this concept of his death that, that we've started on. And it says this, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, because I know that, you know, growing up in a denominational setting, and, of course, we didn't go to church a lot, because I think we just, you know, it's just religion has a way of turning you off. But... Um, You know, it was always this, this renewal that had to happen every Sunday morning so just to make sure you didn't go to hell for something you did Saturday night. Could you imagine somebody coming to your house and talking to your kids when you, your back was turned and trying to convince them that if they crossed a line with you that you would do away with them and have them in this tension of constantly walking this line trying to make sure that you were not at all upset with them. Your children now. Those people probably wouldn't be considered really good friends of yours, but that hap that's happening all over the place this morning in places like this. I want you to know you got a good father. And he loves you without condition. And that love will calibrate your life where you need to be. And if Jesus died for you, once and for all, that means he died for you, and 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 for me already. And he's not going up on a cross again. You know, when you flip somebody off on the, well, y'all probably don't have that problem here because you don't have many freeways around, but you go into Tulsa, you might have the urge, you know. Oh, man, if I died right now, I'd go to hell. Would you? So what you did on the freeway in a moment of frustration is really what we're saying is stronger than the blood of Jesus. Woo, Pastor Ken is preaching good this morning in Manford, Oklahoma. <laughs> All right. Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Reckon, I used to think when I was a kid, it was just a cool word that Clint Eastwood said all the time. And then I, I learned a thing or two. You know, I did grow up in Mississippi, so, you know, we were missionaries. We were on the mission field for quite a few years. And, uh, and then I realized it's more of an accounting term, you know. And then I realized that, man, if... He died for me once and for all, then I need to also reckon myself dead 
to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, so because of that, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Well, Pastor Ken, you said it's not about behavior. There's an interesting little English nuance, two of them actually, called indicatives and imperatives. And you'll find it a lot in Paul's writing, where an indicative is simply a statement of fact. An imperative is a command or a directive. And the New Testament does have imperatives, but you'll never find an earthly imperative, which is horizontal, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Well, because of the indicative he just said. You're dead to sin. Is he saying, don't ever sin? No, he's saying, what are you doing? You're free from this stuff. Wake up. Stand up. You've been empowered. I remember one time I was counseling a couple years ago, 20, 20, over 20 years ago. And the guy had had like an improper emotional deal at work. And him and his wife were across my desk. And he said, well, you know, basically this person wore a short dress to work. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> and I was maybe, you know, five years from the Marines at this point. So, you know, some t- my, my, my mentality has is, is come, come a little bit from there. But I just said, wait a minute. Are you saying the man of God here? is so flimsy that all the devil has to do is bring somebody by you in a short dress? I said, you, you take that back right now and you repent or I'm coming over this desk. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, and it was out there before I really thought about it, and I'm thinking, I hope my secretary's close out there so she can, like, call somebody to help me. And, of course, you know, you say something like that in front of a man's wife, that's not good either. And so I just, I just looked at, you know, it's like trying to make a sale. Then you say, and then the next one that says something loses, right? So I'm just looking at him. Like, I hope he doesn't think I'm bluffing here. And he just started to cry and weep because it was true. It's like, so what, what Paul is, con, you know, conveying here by the Holy Spirit is the indicative of heaven is you're dead to sin. Therefore, don't let it have this access to you. It might get there. You might do it once in a while. doesn't mean, listen to this, it doesn't mean you're a sinner because you sin once in a while. You're dead to it. He, it, it when, when we get into those situations, it doesn't mean your old man is resurrected. It means your new man is immature or not paying attention. Does that make sense? It's this renewal of the mind that's a real thing. It takes effort. I know people that go to the gym every single morning. And I, I don't have anything, well, you know, it would appear I have something against the gym, but I really don't. <laughs> you don't get this kind of physique by going to the gym every day. I, I get that. So I'm not hating on gym rats, but this is what I will say. What if we put that same effort? I'm just going to give God two hours every morning to just meditate 
on who I am in him. Well, that sounds religious, Pastor Ken. Well, not really. Not if you have a conviction to grow. It's not le- I love it because it's not legalistic that you got to go to the gym two hours every day. That's okay. But to say, man, get in that word and pray in the Holy Ghost for an hour every day. I double dog dare you. I mean, you won't even recognize yourself after a while of doing that, you know? So, we, so you're going to see a series of these imperatives. So he says, first of all, therefore, because of that, because of the indicative, because of the statement of fact from heaven, now you can do this. You know, swing the bat, little Joey. Come on, I want you to get a hit. Well, you're me. No, I want you to feel like what it is like to hit the baseball, man. Because then I know you'll be up there on your own from then on out. So he says... Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So now, watch this. He's implying that you can make this decision. You've been empowered to do this. This isn't, well, you know, you ain't gonna make it to heaven if you don't do this. This is, hey, this is who you are, so this is who you you ought to be. I used to turn my kids loose, my my boys especially, at public school, and I would say to them, remember who you are today. I'll come down here and snatch you up if I have to. And I really meant two things. Remember that you're born again. (laughs) You can do this. But also remember that I'll come down here and snatch you up (laughs) if you do something stupid. (laughs) So, So here we have two imperatives. Now we get to the third It says, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Why? Because you are. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, here's another imperative. So this run, verse 10 and verse 14 are the, I'm sorry, are the indicatives of heaven. These are the statements of fact. And those verses in between, they are the commands that we can do or the directives we can do because of those two. Watch this, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So this is an empowering thing. It's not, oh, man, you got you to gotta knock that off. That's not it. He, he's saying get your mind right, and all these things are, you know. It's just amazing. When we, when we first got filled with the Holy Spirit, I was still on active duty, and, and we were just on fire. But there were some things that, you know, it, they weren't major things. Don't get me wrong, and I'd rather not say what it was, but... Uh, well, I'll just say it. So I, you know, I would I would have a beer or two every night after work, and I was a Marine. You know, it was just it was hydrating. You know, <laughs> so I never thought about it, and rarely would I have too many. But sometimes I would. But every night I'd come home. I couldn't wait to get home. And, and of course, and, and and I had felt like I'd been on another planet for most of my life, and I was 27. So, and I drove 80 miles one way to the base. And if you've ever been in the military, you realize that you'll do anything to live off base. So she had a a real job. She made real money. So we lived closer to her job. And then I drove to the base. And then those, that part of California wasn't, it wasn't a bad drive at at 5 a.m. And it wasn't even in those days, bad drive coming home. So anyway, 
I, I, I'm, I'm home from Somalia, filled with the Holy Spirit, loving Jesus, hungry as can be. So I start listening to Kenneth Copeland CDs and Kenneth Hagen and different people like that. And I mean, I'm mainlining this stuff, 80 miles to work and 80 miles home. And, 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 I, and I felt like it was a sin if I listened to, to secular music, you know, which I, I don't anymore. But at that time, I think sometimes you got to get out of the ditch. So there's this you know, Donald G. said it takes the extreme to start a movement, but then the repudiation of extremes to save the movement from itself. So I had to get out of that ditch in that regard, and that was just a thing I put on myself. But, I mean, just growing leaps and bounds, but I would, like, stop at the store and get something to drink, and we'd go home, and she'd have maybe one, and I'd have the rest. And, but we were just having such a great time in Jesus. And now I'm, I'm going to mess with your theology a little bit here. He never talked to me about the alcohol. And I looked at her one day and I said, you know, it's been two years or better since I've had a beer. It just left. It just was gone. Just wasn't there. And I never once thought about I need to stop. All I could think of is I need to get in this word. I can't wait to hear his voice. I can't wait to immerse myself in his promises. Powerful stuff. Maybe that's for somebody today. All right, so three quick points, and I will be, be done on time. So the three aspects I just want to share with you today before we're done of this life that I now live, that you now live. Number one, I think what we can take from what we've talked about already here is that we can live like a dead man. I think we should be living like people that don't fear anything. It's like, what exactly can you do to us, you know? And, and I know we all struggled a little bit during COVID, maybe not here, but in California, and, and we did shut down for a few weeks, and I was conflicted, you know, so I don't want to make too many comments on that. But, um, but I just thought, man, Jesus, like, was snatching up lepers, <laughs> you know, and going into tombs. And wonder what all he was breathing and touching and, and wonder what kind of Purell they had in those days, you know. <laughs> but to live like a dead man. Years ago, Tim McGraw had a song called Live Like You Were Dying. And there's some real truth in that kind of mentality. It's like, what if you had, you know, a day or two left? A friend of mine, uh, when we were getting ready or just kind of praying about starting our last church, which we pastored for almost 18 years, um, man, we just didn't know what to do. And it's the same if you're starting any kind of business. And... Uh, one Monday, I just knew, I knew they were off on Mondays. They were traveling ministers. They used to be from this area and involved in big ministries around here. And we had the fortune to, good fortune to meet them and become friends a little bit. And so they were, you know, older than us and kind of mentor us a little. And I just called them on a Monday. And, you know, it's happened sometimes, I guess. And it's happened to me a few times since. And I always remember, don't be frustrated because you did this one time. <laughs> I just called him and said, hey, man, we're driving to the desert. I know you live out there somewhere. We need to talk to you guys. And he's like, come on over. Um, the cool thing is when we were there, we're sitting on the floor of their living room just talking and 
Dwight Thompson drives over on his motorcycles. <laughs> so I was like, I used to see you on TV, man. Can I like have an autograph or something? I felt like a, a little kid. But he, but this guy asked me two questions. He said, at the end of it all, we were there for probably five or six hours, and he said, I want to ask you two questions. He said, what would you do right now if you knew you couldn't fail? And then he said, number two, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back in three years? I looked at her. I said, I guess we're starting a church. Live like you're dying. There's something to that. In Romans 6, verse 4, we're real close to that. Just back up a little bit. Go upstream just a touch to verse 4 and 5. It says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, that should isn't, boy, you really should do this. It's, it, means, it, means, it means this is your life now. You should just be walking in newness of life. It's more of a release than a requirement, if you will. At least that's the way I read it. I think you could look at it either way probably. But he's, he's identifying us now, tying us back to what he just said about Jesus. Even so, we are free from this stuff. Okay, let's drop down to verse 7, 7 and 8. And it says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So this is a past tense. Notice that the... the the language here. This is past tense. This is done. Finished. So the, this finished work releases us to finish the things that aren't finished yet. There are some things that aren't finished yet. Now, the book of Acts says these are the beginnings of things, you know. We're here to do some stuff. And, and I don't believe that you know, I'm done talking about the revivals of the past. I mean, I, I'm a historian, and I like reading stuff, but it's time now that we realize that, the, you know, that the celebrity pastors aren't going to lead us off into, you know, the victorious sunset. It's time that folks that believe Jesus realize that there's something in you, something upon you that has called you to do things that most people could never accomplish because you trust the living God. So we could live like we're dying. Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead to make bad people good. Jesus wasn't even resurrected from the dead to make good people better. Jesus walked out of the empty tomb of Joseph of Arimathea to make dead people live period. Number two, we can love like a dead man. Love like a dead man. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we, we understand that pretty well. Let me go to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. And we're going to go all the way down to verse 22. Y'all doing okay? Yes, 
verse 22, and then we'll just take 22 through 28. Paul sort of, he's making a retort here, if you know the context, and he goes, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. We saw one time where somebody received that. In if, you, if you watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Paul had that five times. You imagine? He says, five, uh, three times I was beaten with rods. That had its own unique brutality to it. Once I was stoned, we remember that when he was in a place called Lystra. I believe he was dead. The Bible says the disciples gathered around and he raised up and spent the night there and went down to, I think it was Derby and spent a few days and then went back to Lystra. I'd be like, those people, they can go to hell. I ain't going back over there. <laughs> no, uh-uh. No, sir. I'm not going back over there. They can, they can, they can live stream, you know. That ain't happening. <laughs> He says, three times I was shipwrecked. We, we know about one of them. In the middle of a hurricane, he tells everybody, you're going to live. You just can't jump overboard. You got to stay on this. Hey, we're going we're gonna, to you know, hang on to wood going to ashore. Could you imagine? It's like, hey, I can't wait for this vacation. It's like, no, that's Paul the apostle. Let's go. We'll walk. <laughs> I ain't getting on no boat that dude is on. Three times. We don't even know about all these instances, all the detail. But a night and a day he was in the deep, he says. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, and in the wilderness, and in the sea, in perils of false brethren, in weariness and in toil. Man, all those things, including and especially false brethren, will wear you out. In sleeplessness, in hunger, and thirst, and fastings, Besides all the other things that come upon me, my deep concern for all the churches. Could you imagine that in all that? That's why he went back to Lystra. He didn't care if he died. He was living and loving like a dead man. He was dead already. Can't kill a dead man. Can't, can you imagine that the Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus after he was resurrected? It's like, bro, I already know. You can't kill me, please. It's like calling somebody in and say, well, you know, I hate to tell you this, but we're going to give you all expense paid tickets to Maui. So take that. It's like, how are you going to, you're going to heaven, man. What are you afraid of? We, we took a, my son-in-law and I, and he's, you know, 31, I think now, so at maybe he was 25 or 26 and we took a group of people from our church to Central Africa, East Africa Rwanda and Burundi specifically we had planted the church in Burundi and we had some, some ministry connections in Rwanda and so we, we've got like 8 18 year olds and ha more than half of them are girls and so we, we 
meet up with the team from Uganda. We'd been working with these people for about a decade, planting churches in that part of the world and, and taking trips there. And because and, we always wanted to just get on board with um, something we could do ourselves from our church and not just give money to another organization. So we were there. And I just remember hearing some news report. It was so weird that that particular year of 2014, I think it was, the, one of the main holy days of Islam and Christianity were kind of on the same, at the same time for that. I don't even know what it was. I didn't even stop to really pay attention. I just remember hearing it. So we, we link up with the people from Uganda. They drove a van over. We get in this van, and, and, it's, and it's got Jesus loves you in about 12 different African dialects all over it. It looks like the Scooby-Doo van, you know. So we're all crammed in here, and it's all windows around. And, and uh, so then we get down to Burundi, and... We have this hotel, and they're sounding the Muslim prayer calls through the city and everything. And I was a little on edge because this was right after, right around Benghazi and all that. And I'm a military guy, so I'm hypervigilant, you know. And, you know, of course I was in faith, but I still felt the pressure of these, all these kids, you know. And so the, they come to get us that next day, and they drive us into the village. We didn't even know why. And then they get turned around in the village. So we're in this little tight alley, two or three cars in front of us. We're behind. We had a lead car, some people that were from Burundi and uh, pastors and so forth. And all these people are walking, just throngs of people walking. And then I look around and I notice they're just all dressed up. And then I notice they're all Muslims. And then I realize we're in a van that says Jesus loves you in every possible African dialect. You know, and Benghazi had just happened, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. I look at Will. I t I'm telling my African friend here, I'm like, this is serious, man. All, they, all it would take is one crazy person to get everybody going, and they turn us over here and do whatever. And I, and I looked at Will, and I'm like, it ain't like we can run. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I just told her, I said, start praying. And, I mean, it sounded like. A hundred people on typewriters. We were everybody's praying in tongues, man. We were getting with it, and they finally get us out of there, and we get back on the road, and then we go right by our hotel, back out into you know the bush, and I'm like, what were we doing? There was a time there where the Africans started getting a little nervous, so we even pulled over, and they had a little huddle, and I'm like, okay, this is serious now because they're concerned. Um, but it's this kind of stuff. It's like. You're going to be in those places. And, and there for a minute, you know, I forgot that, hey, I'm already dead. Live it up. We went out and had great ministry. And there were soldiers there. And they go, you know why these soldiers are here? I was like, no. I mean, we're way out in the bush. Because the president knows you're here. He wants you to be safe. I'm like, well, that's nice. Even a dictator can, can be nice sometimes. But my deep concern for all the churches, Paul says, he was always thinking of mission because he already reckoned himself to be dead. Amen? When we, when we think like this and live like this, it's not, it's not so much a, an obligation as it is a conviction. Number three and lastly, to lead like a dead man. In Acts 21, verse 8, we're almost done here. Acts 21, verse 8. Uh, the counter's going backwards, but I'm not at 10.30 yet, so just saying. <laughs> Acts is in the New Testament, right? 
<laughs> okay, here we go. Verse number 8. So Acts 21, verse 8. says this, On the next day, who were, uh, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles." goes on to say, now when we heard these things, both we and those who were from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen to me. Most people today would take that warning as confirmation not to go. The Holy Ghost is telling me not to go. And Paul was like, that's confirmation I'm supposed to go. So here's, here's what I'm saying. This is an important illustration of knowing what God is saying to you because there will be a lot of people around you interpreting what they hear and trying to tell you what they think it means for you, and that's all good, but you better know what God's telling you because that's where you're supposed to be, and that's what he did. Let's finish with this, Colossians 3.3. 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, past tense, all trespasses. I'd drop the mic if I didn't want to break Pastor Greg's mic. Listen to this. The grace of God is not cheapened law. The grace of God isn't um, somehow counteractive to the law. All the grace of God is, it's even not a doing away with the requirements of the law. What the grace of God is, is a recognition that those requirements have been fulfilled in Christ on your behalf. It is not a diminishing of anything. It's a fulfillment of those things. So people say, well, you know, it's greasy grace. Call it what you like, but it's the truth. This is a finished work. And the more we renew our mind to that, the more empowered we are to live the life that the world needs us to live so that we can walk in the fullness of who Jesus is, really, right? So not your best life, but his best life, amen? You see, the scandalous nature of the gospel, the scandalous nature of the gospel isn't who it keeps out. It's who it lets in. Look to your neighbor and say, you're very fortunate. <laughs> you are very fortunate. I'm very fortunate. So let's pray. Father, we give you the praise today. We thank you for the word. We thank you for this great, great house. Lord, I, I bless my, my friends, Greg and Karen. I thank you for their legacy here. 
untold numbers of people blessed and, and encouraged and healed and delivered by your power and by your spirit in this very place. And Lord, we just give you the praise that the future is brighter than any of us can imagine and you are just getting started and we have a role to play, each and every one of us, because we carry everything heaven has to offer this world. And Lord, we give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor.